by endurance you will gain. The Lord helps those who help themselves. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your bread. And finally, the other one we heard today. Anyone unwilling to work should not eat. You've probably heard these specific words, these cliches, or some version of them at points in our lives. Personally, for me, I've heard these from society, but I've also heard them most closely from my parents growing up. They told me things like this because they wanted to prepare me for success in the world by instilling within me this Protestant work ethic, a work ethic that had helped them survive. And before I get into how problematic I think these messages are, I want the record to show that I am very grateful for my parents. <laughs> and I'm grateful for how they raised me. I think the work ethic they've instilled within me has helped me to do some pretty awesome things in life. But it's that same work ethic, though, that has been a double-edged sword in my life. It's brought me to the edge of burnout. It's almost sacrificed relationships in my life for the sake of work. And when I'm at my worst in my relationship to my work, I found myself being a judgmental jerk of everyone around me who I perceive to not be working as hard as I am. It's in that overworked, exhausted, running on empty place in my life that I find myself to tempted. I want to assert this unfeeling, no work, no food sentiment on others. But I know better. I know intellectually that it's, it's not for me to judge another's, another's work ethic, because after all, what do I know? When we see the lives of others, we see just the tip of the iceberg. What if they're disabled? What if they're ill? What if they are grieving a loss or dealing with a trauma that I cannot see with my own eyes? What if they're being systemically marginalized? But then, what are we supposed to do with scriptures like the one today from 2 Thessalonians, Thessalonians, where the text explicitly says that anyone unwilling to work should not eat? Should even that text then apply to our lives today? And I will say that the answer to that question is both yes and no. So let's start by exploring why we shouldn't apply that text directly to our own lives today. The Reverend Dr. Jacob Bobby explains it this way. Many things have changed from Paul's original context. Faced with persecution, empowered by special outpourings of the Spirit, the early Christians in Thessalonica probably did live a more communal existence, much like the Christians from Acts. And this is a far cry from where most Western Christians find themselves today. For many, a vast majority of their goods and possessions are not held in common, and the fruits of their labor are not distributed to all as any have need. While production may still be a communal effort, our consumption is often highly individualized. That means for us today that in this more individualized, consumeristic world, the words of Paul coming from a more communal economy, don't really have a direct correlation to our current context. And not only are our contexts different, but the way in which we think has even evolved since the time of this letter. The Reverend Dr. Bobby goes on to explain that Paul here is simply giving voice to a harshness 
that marks many pre-modern thinkers. According to his view, Paul's prescription for the life of the church is suspect due to the influence of his particularly uncivilized historical context. Elsewhere, Paul may speak of God, but here he is simply letting his unfortunate cultural conditioning speak out. So with that said, I think we can raise a number of objections to Paul's no work, no food attitude. But at the same time, I don't think it's fair of us to throw out his words altogether. And if we're willing to suspend our judgment for just a moment about Paul's proclamation, I think we can explore how we might faithfully apply these scriptures to our lives today. And first off, before we really approach this text, we need to make sure we have a double dose of grace. Like, if these words from Paul were an ice cream sundae, grace would have to be the chocolate sauce, the sprinkles, the whipped cream, and the cherry on top, covering them all. And that means that if we apply these hard work words to our communal and church life, they just have to be dripping in grace. And with an extra topping of grace, we can redeem these hard work words. Because if we simply ignore the call and the urge to work hard, I think it's also a disregard for the gifts and the grace that God has blessed us with. Work is necessary to promote the life of this world. And we have a responsibility, a responsibility to steward this world according to the gifts we've been given. Too often, though, our work in this world is not life-giving. It's defined by the amount of compensation that we receive in return for our work. So instead of using this narrow definition of work that fits into the productivity and profit structure of our capitalist economy, we need to redefine work to include those forms of labor that aren't rewarded with money in society. Forms of work like creative labor, emotional labor, domestic labor, all other forms of invisible labor that make life beautiful and bearable and clean and fed. It's this kind of work that we don't legitimize because it doesn't actually put food on the table, but without this work, we would be starved emotionally, spiritually, and that food on the table would not be cooked. Stanley Hauerwas and Will William Willimon put it this way, the confessing church finds its main political task to lie not in the personal transformation of individual hearts or the modification of society, but rather in the congregation's determination to worship Christ in all things. That means worshiping Christ in all things and in all forms of labor. And that means that even the most mundane work that we do, even the work that is not monetarily rewarded by our economy, it can be a chance for us to worship Christ. As people of God and baptized members of the body of Christ, our lives, our life's work, it cannot be disconnected from the person and the work of Christ and his body. And that's, what I think, what it looks like to live into Christ's redemption. It's Christ's redemption for us because Christ has redeemed us through death and resurrection our whole lives and the work that we do. It's all redeemed. From folding clothes to calling on a friend or simply setting a stewardship intention here in church, 
These are all forms of worship because all life is redeemed in an act of worship. It may be hard for us to find grace in Paul's harsh, no work, no food exhortation, but I think there is grace to be found when we can redefine work, not as some means to a financial or food end, but as everything we do. The food that we receive in return from that work then is both seen and unseen, material and intangible. And when our life's work is understood as all-encompassing, then we can truly worship Christ in all things. With all that we have, with all that we are able to do, we are not only fed by God and worship, but our life's work and our worship becomes then food for others. There will be times, no doubt, that this work feels pointless, fruitless, especially when it feels like we are only headed for the end times. Or maybe there's times, too, when our work feels like there will never be an end time to it. But even in our most exasperated and exhausted moments, we trust that the grace of God covers us all, like a delicious ice cream sundae, <laughs> and that no matter our success or our failure in life, God gives food to all. With trust in the abundance of God's provision, we can live lives connected in every way to Christ's redeeming love and grace. And at this table behind me, we will receive the bread of life and the cup of salvation. And being fed with Christ's body, our worshipful, worshipful life's work then becomes food for others. <laughs>